Hey everybody, welcome to Fear the Fincast. It's April 17th, 2017 at 7.07 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Jacob Centrum uh, and Marcus White, co-managing editors of fearthefin.com. Uh, let's see, Sharks are trailing the Edmonton Oilers two games to one in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, it's not so good. Uh, not, as, not quite as good as it was when we last, last did, uh, did the pod. What uh, what have we learned about this series? Because I think after that first game, I feel like the, you know, obviously just one game. Um, you know, the Sharks had started very poorly in that in that game and really kind of turned it on after that. What have we learned after uh, now three games in the series? Well, I think I think game two uh, was, and I, I wrote about it a little bit uh, ahead of game three. Was you know, game one and game two, we really saw the best case scenario for the Sharks in game one, the worst case scenario for the Sharks in game two. Uh, game three, I think, was a little more even, but you know, I don't think the Sharks really played all that well. Certainly, they were better than game two, uh, not better than they were in game one. Um, I think, in terms of positives, I think the biggest positive takeaway from the last two games is that Martin Jones has played really well. He was tested a lot more in game two, certainly, than he was in game three. But I think if you had come into this series and said Martin Jones is going to allow five goals in three games, do you take it? you're going to say yes. The problem, of course, for the Sharks is that they've not scored a goal uh, since game one. Didn't have a ton of great looks last night. Certainly had a lot of good looks early. Tierney and Meyer both firing uh, high over the net early and uh, just weren't able to beat Talbot. So I think Jones' play has probably been the biggest positive. Uh, The play of the fourth line and Timo Meyer certainly right behind that. Uh, in terms of negatives, uh, you got to still be concerned about Logan Couture. I wrote about that this morning. He's being used in a very difficult role against very good competition, uh, which you have to question the uh, judgment behind that with him coming back from a serious injury, especially seeing how Joe Thornton was used last night. Uh, I thought Thornton played pretty well. You can definitely tell he's hurting uh, and he's not 100%, but he had some shifts in the offensive zone last night with that top line, and they just hemmed the Oilers um, in their own end, which was encour- which was encouraging to see, even with his limitations. Um, yeah, it, it's but he but it didn't seem DeBoer risked uh, Joe going against top competition, whereas he he threw Couture pretty much to the wolves uh, right from the get go. This series, Couture played nine minutes against McDavid last night. Uh, Got a question why they keep doing that, uh, Tomas Hurdle. Has a positive, you know, puck possession numbers, and he's only played ten minutes against Connor McDavid through three games this series. The Sharks saw how effective he was against Connor McDavid in the last matchup of the regular season. Uh, my biggest question, it's especially after seeing Thornton last night, um, you know, play in a sheltered role, is why is the same not being done for Patrick Marlowe? Excuse me, for Logan Couture. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that you look at the biggest positives in this series so far, and it's uh, Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle, and the biggest negative so far right now is it is Logan Couture. Um, obviously, the latter of which is understandable because of you know right. the injury, um, but the usage doesn't back up the way guys are playing right now. Logan Couture continues to be kind of ridden very hard, and that's the same can be said of Justin Braun and Mark Edward Vlasic. All of those guys continue to get yeah extremely difficult minutes, and their play has not backed up the kind of assignments that they're getting. And the opposite is true for guys like Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle. Um, you know, Tomas Hurdle right now has the second most shots on goal of any Shark in this series. Uh, Brent Burns has the most. Uh, Tomas Hurdle has played 
something like, you know, eight fewer minutes than Brent Burns. And, you know, listen, Tomas Hurdle is still getting somewhere, but it's tweener minutes, like second, second-ish line, third-ish yeah. line minutes, somewhere in between that. And that's, I think, a mistake. Um, you know, I think the Sharks are kind of in a position now where, you know, um, it's kind of a house money situation where they're not really expected to win this series because of the the injury situation. I don't know if the coaching staff feels that way, but that's kind of the way, you know, I treated this series just because, you know, um, they're dealing with such a tough injury uh, situation. But I feel like, you know, just based on usage, it seems like the coaching staff is just kind of playing it normal, at least in terms of uh, Couture's uses, which I think is, you know, got a pretty big mistake. Um, just, you know, the way Couture has played, it's very, very clear he's not capable of playing um, up to his usual standards. And, you know, quite frankly, even if Couture is 100%, uh, Couture can't handle Connor McDavid, uh, even right. if he is 100%. Not not by himself and not to these 100, you know, not to the kind of minutes that I think he has. I think, you know. And certainly not with the line committee. playing with. Certainly not that's, with Patrick Marlowe right. and Joel Ward. Uh, I Both think of whom at this point Joel, are, are at best third line possession guys. At yeah, best. and that's and that's fine. Those guys can be used. I think what it comes down to is, and I didn't touch on this in the piece, but you and I talked about it. Is you look at that Couture Marlowe Ward line and you think, okay, if you know DeBoer was giving Couture some easier minutes than he has been in the series, maybe if you know you you're using Hurdle primarily against McDavid, and then you're using Thornton primarily against the Nugent Hopkins line, which is kind of how it, the ice time broke down last night, although Thornton saw more of a mix. Okay, Couture, Marlowe, and Ward against Drake, uh, Kigula, Mark Letestu, and Zach Cassian, and the rest of the Oilers' bottom six. That's a matchup you're going to take, and you think is an area where you're going to have an edge uh, over the opposing team. Uh, the issue has been, so far at least, is that they're treating Couture as if he is fully ready to go and as if he is healthy. And I think it'd be different if Hurdle hadn't shown that he can handle McDavid, if Hurdle hadn't shown that. And again, it's only one game and you don't want to base your decisions off of that. But, you know, this is a guy who's also an important piece of your organization. And I don't want to say you, you throw him in the deep end and hope they swim, but you at least want to get a sense of where he stands in his development. This would be a good test for him to see, um, what exactly you have in him? Uh, so yeah, it's it was a little confused, a little confusing for me to see that, quite frankly. Uh, and I I'm hoping that that's something that will change in Game Four. I'm certainly not expecting it. Uh, I think, you know, you mentioned Vlasic and Braun still used against McDavid. They saw uh, Vlasic saw 12 minutes and 58 seconds against McDavid last night. Saw the same amount of ice time against Patrick Maroon. By far the most of any player he saw last night. Uh, and he, he acquitted himself well. He's 55% uh, Corsi 4 against McDavid, 50% Corsi 4 in those minutes, or excuse me, Fenwick 4 in those minutes. You're going to take that given his struggles this season. Uh, I'm certainly That's not much better than either of the first two games, it should be noted, because he yes. was dreadful against yes. both of those guys in the first two games. Yes, so. much, much, better, um, much better numbers, and I think – you know, if, if that I mean, if that can sustain in Game Four and the the Sharks can generate a little more offense, uh, you know, they they could be in a position to tie the series. But you know, we're once again we're still finding ourselves asking a lot of if questions uh, going forward. Yeah. Okay. So we got a question in the in the chat, which you can uh, get to. We I linked to it on the Fear the Fin Twitter Twitter page. That's probably the easiest way to get to it. Um, 
uh, asking if uh, if you think we're going to see Kevin LeBanc in this series. And that's something we both talked about and something I think we both wanted to see before the series started. Yes. I guess uh, let's start from the beginning. Are you surprised that at the start of the series we saw Timo Meyer instead of Kevin LeBanc? Yeah, a little bit based on the the way LeBanc had played down the stretch. Uh, certainly, and, and really also if you think of the whole sample size of the season. Now this. I want to be clear that uh, you know I've been on the Timo Meyer bandwagon for the whole season, so that this would have been my preference as Timo over right. Kevin LeBanc, but I'm still surprised just based on everything the coaching staff had done up until this point. I I would have thought that if you had asked me to kind of rank, you know, the Sharks rookies that had played this season, I would have said, oh, the coaching staff likes LeBanc's game more than Timo Meyer. Right. I would have I would agree with that, and I think you know Meyer was a scratch a couple times down the stretch in those last games, whereas LeBanc was. You know, I don't think LeBanc was scratched scratched during the last few games. Um, Not that I remember. Yeah, uh, I look. They've scored zero goals each of the last two games. I think he has to play. Analysis right there. He has to play the next game, right? I mean, he has to. He has to. He's you know, I think he's like ninth or tenth on the team in points per game. He's the same as Joel Ward. He's ahead of Mikel Bodker. He's ahead of Marcus Sorensen. I think Sorensen's played very well. with Timo Meyer and Chris Tierney, I think they've looked dangerous, but I think he's the guy that's got to go, though. They, yeah, but this isn't this is not an indictment on his play. I think no, he's been very good in the series. Just, they need they need goals, and I mean, I would put LeBanc there. And, you know, and, and the question is now: Do you put Bodker in as well? I don't know. It's, it sounds like Bodker's not going to play. He was the last guy off the ice. Um, baffling. What a what a you know he was he was good. Season. He was good with Hurdle and Hanson. Uh, that that's been the Sharks' best line for over a month. Right. And right. that's the guy that gets scratched. I and just, look, I, I like Donskoy on that line too, but it's just sure. Like, but clearly, that's the guy. If you if if the decision is, and you know. I, I don't agree with the decision to keep Sorensen in the lineup um, over Donskoy. I don't. But if you're if your thinking is that you know you want to have a guy that plays a little bit of a heavier game, and so your decision is Donskoy or Bodker, that's not a hard decision, right? It's just not just based on you know because you got to think about how the line as a whole is playing. I just and yeah. that's as someone who's really been a really big fan of Donskoy all year. Right, you know, I mean, really, I ha- like, you know, I, I just I can't fathom how that's the decision that gets made, and that's just one of many really just puzzling decisions that Pete DeBoer yeah, made late recently. And I think you, you know, another guy too. I mean, he scored the goal, but Melker really hasn't been great this this postseason. He's been he's he's probably been their worst player. I mean, in fairness, he's the guy that probably should get scratched. It's just and the possession numbers bear that out. He has oh, been yeah. their worst player this postseason in terms of puck possession now you know he's you know he he was he was definitely dragged down i'm sure a little bit by playing with logan couture um but you know last night he's playing with thornton and he's only 50 percent. whereas you know pavelski was plus four thornton himself plus five and hurdle you know hurdles numbers were even better after getting put on put on the top line um but i, I you know melker's been a pretty much a a, a standby and I, I think it's the you know, the moving goalposts of expectations. I think they just expect different things from uh, Melker Carlson as opposed to Mikel Bodker, which, you know, I, I get it. It's fine. But, you know, at some point the rubber's got to meet the road. You got to put your, you know, the be- the players that are going to give you the best opportunity to score goals. And I think a lineup without Melker Carlson and Marcus Sorensen and a lineup with Mikel Bodker and K- 
Kevin LeBanc, given the Sharks' struggles to score, probably puts them in a better position to score goals. I think the the biggest thing here is that uh, it shows that Melker Carlson's you know a passenger on that line, and that now that he's being put in a position where uh, Joe Thornton is not an, at a health status where he can carry carry guys like uh, you know Melker Carlson along. Um, you know, that line suffers. And that's not really a criticism on Melker Carlson because he's not a first-line player. It's, no, yeah, exactly. Which is fine. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, that is not a problem. It's just that the way that that overloaded line works. Because, listen, most teams don't have guys like Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski playing on the same line. That's not really a normal line construction. The reason that line construction works so well is that you can put two, you know, uh, overload that line and then put a guy that's really more of a fourth-liner up on that line and it kind of all flows well. But when those guys aren't able to play at that level, yeah, I think it exposes a guy like Melko Carlson. So that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to be scratched, but it means he probably can't play, you know, up in a top six rule. He just can't. Yeah. And I think, so, I mean, if, if you want to bring in Kevin LeBanc and then you move Melko Carlson into Marcus Sorensen's spot, correct. that line, I think that line is just as good as it was with Sorensen there. If not better, I think, um, you know, I think Sorensen, has been good defensively, and I think he back-checked well. I think last night, and, you know, maybe this was me watching him too closely, but there are a lot of times he lost the puck, uh, including he tried to – he made a, you know, a fairly – what I thought was a fairly cavalier decision with the puck in front of his own end last night that kind of had me scratching my head, almost turned into a rush the other way. Um, that, that's his game, and that's really what I think is – that's been a problem with of mine with his game all year is that – he turns the puck over a lot, yeah. and I think that's a, kind of an interesting thing that he doesn't seem to get criticized for it very often. Well, I, um, I think why he doesn't get criticized for it is because he is back-checking. He is getting back defensively, and he, he, in a lot of cases, you know, he's making a turnover, but he is making up for his mistake. I think where – and it's, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, just the expectations of his role. He's a bottom six player, so if he's doing that, you know, he's not necessarily scoring, but hey, at least he's getting back and he's covering himself when he does take those chances. They're going to put up with those mistakes as opposed to if a top six player isn't scoring goals, is turning the puck over, but and is make, even if they are back checking, they're still turning the puck over. Right. Yeah. I had once, uh, I brought this up once. I, I think it was at a, you know, I don't know. I, I think it was at a, like a minor league game once. I brought it up to a scout and they called it Superman syndrome. And they said, yeah, well, you know, players like superheroes, even if they're the ones that screw everything up to begin with, as long as they put it back together at the end. You know, so the guy that, yeah, the guy turns the puck over, right? You forget about it as if they back check. And I think Sorensen, to his credit, does that very well. Uh, Which, the thing is, is I don't care if you go back and back check because you screwed it up to begin with. He was turning the puck over, but he was, you know, generating more individual offense. Right. Put up with it. He's not, right. he's not doing it he's enough. Not. Right. Um, and, and to me, like, I don't want to make this a big thing where it's like, you know, again, it's not to me. It, it's he's very rarely. Of their problems right now. Like if, if he stays in the lineup tomorrow night, like they're still going to have a, their fourth line still in a position to succeed. Correct. It's just that the, to me, it's uh, the, it's not, it, it's not, the, the Sharks are not losing because of Marcus Sorensen. No, very clearly. No. Um, the Sharks are losing because Logan Couture is playing at about 50% and Joe Thornton is playing on one leg. Um, but I think what, but I think what we're getting at is that the Sharks need to take more chances offensively. And so as such, they need Kevin LeBanc yeah. and they probably need, need Mikel Bodker. Even if these guys don't score, they need at least 
to put a couple more bullets in, in the gun in the right direction. And I think, I, think, I right. don't know. I, I, I think, think gonna, Sorensen gonna, is a guy that, right, go ahead. No, I'm saying if, if you're going to have Kachur and Thornton, you know, I mean, look, Th- Thornton's line looked like they were going to score like once or twice last night. I think they look more dangerous than Kachur's line. But if Kachur's line isn't generating anything, your third and fourth lines, you need to be, those need to be like filled to the brim with skill guys. So you, someone has the threat to score because right now this lineup is not very threatening. Yeah. See, I think right now, I think Tierney and Timo Meyer look dangerous. And I think yes. maybe adding Kevin LeBanc, maybe that puts them over the top. Maybe it does. And you know, maybe it doesn't. Um, but I think that Kevin LeBanc certainly adds more scoring than Sorensen does. And you have, you have to at least give it a go because that, that's basically all they can do at this point. It's like, well, maybe it, maybe that works. Um, yeah. I mean, it's worth a, it's worth a chance. You're down two games to one. You've been shut out for two games in a row. Um, yeah. I think you, you have to make, you can't just keep the status quo. Um, and I think, I think last night the Sharks were better in some respects. I think they were... Certainly better than game two. I think low yes. bar, but uh, game two was physically painful to watch. And I think, you know, I think what they have to be encouraged by is... Not giving up two shorthanded goals. Not giving up two shorties. I mean, the power play remains a disaster. And Oh, boy, think, does it. They look better. Well, the uh, biggest, they look more the likely best... to score on the penalty kill. Frankly, they looked more likely to score when in they were in the midst of a change and they just had a random combination of three guys from the top unit and two guys from the second unit. Like yeah. they just the power play looked better when it was it was a brief moment where I think I want to say Joel Ward and Tomas Hurdle were on with Thornton, Pavelski, and Burns. And even in that moment, it was they were moving the puck better. They looked they just looked more like a threat to score. Um, Tyler Delos tweeted some stats over the weekend about, you know, comparing the Sharks from 1450, which is really their last great year on the penalty power play to where they are now. Marlowe is taking like way less shots than he was then. And all a bunch of guys are, and the load is now falling on Brent Burns. who's now taking something like 30% of the individual shot attempts on the power play, which, you know, he was at like 20% in 1415 when they were still operating at peak efficiency. Um, I, and I think that bears out with what you're seeing. It looks like they don't have – they don't really have a – I mean, again, I don't want to comment too much on strategy because I'm not in their meetings. I don't know what they've drawn up. But it seems like the overriding strategy is on the top unit, get the puck to Brent Burns. He's going to put it on net and find a deflection. And few, not a lot of guys are moving off the puck. Uh, frankly, the movement is better with the second unit than it is with the first unit. So I, I think – I don't know. I think – if you're at the point now where you're down two games to one in the playoff series, you know, I, I used the cliche earlier. I'll use it again. The rubber is hitting the road. You have to, you're going to have to make some changes, you know, just, just to make changes, just to see what works. Um, you know, that being said, even with all these errors, you know, there's still pretty much a, a bad bounce away from going to overtime last night. Yeah. I think the thing for me with the power play, and I've said this before is that the power play is not, it's not, correctable at this point because I don't think right. that you can fix a power play during the season. Um, the I think that systemic changes during the off right, season and you can't do that in the midst of a playoff series. Um, the problem with the power play and I think that people, because this is what all fans do, um, you know, I, I've talked to, uh, yeah, I've been going on with, uh, with a TSN radio uh, in Edmonton, you know, before every game this series, I talked to them this morning uh, 
and uh, was, you know, listening before I went on this morning. And uh, they were talking about uh, the change in tune about Jay Woodcroft this morning. Does that sound familiar, guys? Oh, man. You know, remember when we got the bitch about Jay Woodcroft every week? Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> they were doing that in Edmonton this year, too. And now they're not anymore. Because guess what? It's almost never about the power play, Cody. Yeah. It's about the person. Right. The problem with the Sharks power play is Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe because they're not that good anymore. Yeah. They are the problem. So let's, like, listen, as, as right. someone who has, has, you know, fought with people for years about <laughs> it's not Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe's fault, this time... Too much, is, too much is being asked of them. Yeah, I think... Right. So, like, listen... They should not be in the top unit. Correct. Their role needs to be diminished on the power play. Um, and whether or not it's it's... You know, and this is a part where we can't really comment on what the discussion is like in the locker room, obviously. Um, you know, I assume it's not like a great discussion to be had there. It was like, hey, man, so uh, who wants to go tell Joe Thornton he's not in the top power play unit anymore? Because I don't want to be in that meeting, um, particularly. Uh, so, you know, listen, I think that's a big problem. And I think that that's, you know, having one guy take a step back, that's, you know, a problem for the power play. Having two guys take a step back, that's crippling. Um, and right. so I think that when we talk about a systemic change on the power play, that's the systemic change. It's moving Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe off the top unit. Um, or at the very least, changing the power play system so that Joe Thornton is not such a critical piece of it. Because I think that while, yeah, there's something to be said about Brent Burns' shot totals, I think another big piece of uh, what makes the power play work is Joe Thornton feeding Joe Pavelski across the slot. And I think that yeah. that pass is not there anymore. Or no, is it no. working as effectively? They know they, that that pass is taken away every time. Correct, and I think that, that you know someone's talking to me uh, Twitter just was like, "Oh, where's Joe Pavelski?" You know, and like talking about his you know gold t- totals were down this year. It's like, well, you know, um, he his game is so based on going to areas because he knows because he plays with Joe Thornton all the time. He knows where to go to accept passes from Joe Thornton. I think it has less. This isn't a criticism of Joe Pavelski. You know, you work in a way to play with your teammates. And if you go to a spot and it's like, wow, hey, my teammate isn't doing what he's supposed to do. You know, it's not really a criticism of Joe Pavelski. Joe Thornton's not doing what he, you know, right. has been it's, doing it's, for the past four years. I don't think it's a criticism of Thornton or Marlowe. No. They're both 30 I mean, just, years old. Like, right. I mean, listen, I'm just saying it, it's not, it doesn't have to be anyone's fault, but it's, I think, an accurate description of the situation. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think that's a different thing as to why they're now giving up shorthanded goals left and right. I think that's maybe more of a confidence thing because they know they suck now. Um, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. Right. So, you know, and now, you know, and the second unit is a whole other thing where, you know, that's just, I think, a poorly constructed unit. Right. Um, and even so. as a poorly constructed unit, they've looked better, I think, in this series than the top unit has on the power. I mean, Second unit yeah. scored the goal this series. You yep. know, scored the power play goal in this Just series. Just think how much better it would look with Chris Tierney on that second unit. Right. We've been standing for that all, all season. Probably, They're going to put it on my tombstone. Should have put Chris Tierney on the second power play unit. There's only so many, uh, you know, there's only so many changes they can make. Speaking of potential changes, I haven't seen anyone calling for it, nor do I think anyone should be. Uh, but do you think David Schlemko gets scratched tomorrow after that turnover? I, I don't think so. I saw one person concerned that it would happen, but I haven't seen anyone calling right. for it. I mean, I think um, I, yeah, the biggest tell for me was that within moments of that happening, Boer put him back out for another shift. Like he put a different pairing out after the turnover, and then Schlemko and Dylan were out there again. Now Schlemko wasn't out there at the end of the game, 
in the extra attacker situation, but usually DeBoer goes Pavel, goes Burns Vlasic there anyway, which um, is right absolutely Again, baffling because DeBoer not, doesn't know not what he's doing. Right. But... If they were if they were up by a goal, yeah, you put yes. it out there. Not if they're trailing. I just um, I I saw the the every time I see their their extra attacker lineup, I just. I can't help but shake my head. I have no idea what the yeah, plan is yeah, there. Yeah, Horton didn't play there last night either. Uh, and that that DeBoer, I can understand because of well, the... Yeah, I think that was understandable. DeBoer said today, he was like, yeah, Thornton, you could tell he kind of you know faded a bit down the stretch of the game. Like we, Which, okay, to- that makes sense. All right, I can get there. into that headspace. Yeah. Vlasic there, I just, I think, yeah, there's a, there's a certain overvaluation of his offensibility. I don't... <laughs> certainly back. by Vlasic there is. Right. He made a bad attempt on that pass, uh, Schlemko did. He should have – he had Brendan Dillon for a, a much easier pass on his backhand. Um, that being said, I think that's a goal Martin Jones would like to have back. Uh, sure. A slow backhander five-hole. I mean, you, like – Very slow Cassie is not roofing it. Zach Cassie is not roofing it in that situation, you know? like you. Nah. And yes, Flemko's slightly in his way, but I don't think Jones is screened there. That being said, I'm not again. I'm. Not, I said at the top of the show, Jones has been great the last two games. I'm not blaming him for just that's a goal he'd like to have back. But he allowed he allowed one goal. Martin Jones did his job. The Sharks should yep. not be in a position where one goal is going to be a backbreaker. It's kind of funny. So they were, you know, I was asked today. Uh, you know, what's your Martin Jones meter at? It's like, well, I think he's allowed five goals, and I think I've hated about four of them. Uh, I still can't – I'm not allowed to complain about Martin Jones in this series, though, so I guess that's it. I guess we're fine. So – I mean, you've, you've hated four of the five, but he's still allowed five. Right, exactly. It's like, it's, well, it's, okay. It's Antiniemi syndrome. Like, yeah, Antiniemi yeah. would let in some ugly goals, but, like, you but look and he's so, right. see, and that's the thing is that I don't, I really try not to get into the habit of playing under analysis because I don't, right. I, first of all, you know, half the time I don't know what I'm talking about anyway, because, you know, you'll see that you'll see people do this thing where they think that they know what they're talking about, about goaltending. And then you watch an actual goaltending coach, you know, talk about the positioning and where the goalie should be. And you realize, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. So right. that, that's number one. Right. Um, but yeah, listen, the numbers are the numbers. He's got like a 960 even strength save percentage in this series. So, you know, it's fine. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the real problem is probably something to do with the Sharks scoring three goals in three games. Yeah, That's my hot all take which, on the matter. Oh, which coming in the first game. Yeah, the hot take is that they're not scoring enough goals. Uh, you and I think the solution is to introduce more skill into the lineup. We'll see. From what you've read, does it seem the indication is LeBanc is going to go back in? I didn't actually see any dispatches from practice, but I think that'd be something kept close to the vest anyway. I don't think they're going to say anything. Uh, it seems like everything has been game time decision type stuff anyway. So I think that part of that is obviously just, you know, whatever playoff strategy stuff. I think the other thing is that I think Pete DeBoer kind of likes the competition, especially among the younger players. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll see. Uh, do you want to talk about defensive pairing type stuff? I think we should, we can get into that. That seems to be really where maybe people are a little more, I don't think anything is going to happen here, but that's where maybe where a more impactful change can happen. Because at the end of the day, I think Kevin LeBanc over Marcus Sorensen would help, but that's, you know, we're still talking a, a relatively yeah, I, small change. Yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, look, you and I have talked about potentially on the podcast, at least in off air, we've talked about the potential for breaking up, uh, 
Braun and Vlasic. Um, you know, I, I mentioned on the last, I believe it was on the last podcast, I floated out, you know, put Vlasic with Burns, play Martin with Schlemko on the third play, pairing, and then play Brendan Dillon and Justin Braun. Um, you know, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to sing Dillon's praises a little bit. He is a much, much better skater than he was last year. Uh, he had a couple times last night, and he's had it all year, where he evades pressure so well and is able to skate out of of a forecheck and out of bad situations, which we were certainly not saying about his skating ability last year, let alone when he was playing with uh, Roman Polak. Um, mm-hmm. So he's been much better, and I, I think you can use him with Braun. I think that would help. Look, and then you know Burns and Vlasic. Burns is already playing, you know you know, a lot more minutes, you know, at, at even strength, at least. I think he and Martin played 21 minutes last night. And then, you know, Martin's at the age where it's, it's probably better for him if he's in a bit of a reduced role. And I think he and Schlemko would fit together just fine because Schlemko and Burns are, are stylistically pretty similar, not as much power in Schlemko's game, but certainly having Martin be these quote-unquote stay-at-home guy in Well, that I way. also like the idea of then potentially giving Schlemko the opportunity to play you know, certainly not to the degree that Burns does, but I also think that that gives then Schlemko playing, if he plays with the fourth line more minutes, to play a more offensive role, to jump up and to play more. Yes. Yeah. Um, and if Martin is playing fewer minutes, you know, he could still, you know, he could play more of a kind of a cover D-man on Schlemko. And then, you know, maybe that gives the Sharks more yes. opportunity uh, offensively deeper in the lineup. And quite frankly, if you turn Schlemko loose against uh, the Oilers' bottom D Marvel and the Oilers' bottom six. Yeah. Oh my God, he could. Yeah. You know, listen, we've seen what Schlemko can do in part because he gets to play against those bottom guys. Because right. you know, Schlemko is probably more of a, a second pairing D man for a lot of teams, and I think he would look yeah. less spectacular. Certainly, a second pairing D man on Edmonton. That is certainly true. Um, I just think he would tear those guys apart if he was asked to play a little bit more aggressively. I think what he does with Dylan is phenomenal, but I think if he was asked to play more aggressively, that he could certainly do it and do it very well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that, for me, that's the ideal uh, allotment of the defenseman. That being said, I'm not expecting any changes. He's been so hesitant to make changes uh, defensively. Other really than, you know, unless necessitated by injury is really the only time uh, he's wanted to, you know, he's made that change. You know, and then this is, you know, Slumco really, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers on natural stat trick right now. He's got... He's got brutal numbers against McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Maroon, which is, you know, those aren't the guys you want him playing against. But against pretty much everyone else, uh, those Oilers are in the red when playing against him. You know, Chris Russell's got a 33% Corsi 4 percentage against uh, David Schlemko. Schlemko's matched up against a pairing that features, you know, Chris Russell on it. And, you know, against a, a four, who, who are the forwards? I'm trying to see who he's done best against forward-wise. Um, like, you know, David DeHarnay's group. David DeHarnay has a 31.25% Corsi 4 percentage against uh, David Schlemko, albeit only in eight minutes. Uh, he's, yeah, I think it's also worth noting that I, I know, uh, I think mistakenly, uh, Randy and Jamie uh, were noting that, uh, you know, the, I believe it was Dreisaitl got moved to the, that third line last night. I think they were saying that that was a demotion, where I think actually what Todd was doing was uh, – just trying to spread out the Oilers' depth, and I think yeah, that that I think that was actually a smart move on McClellan's part yeah. because dry, and I think that's an adjustment we should talk about. Uh, I think moving Drysidle down the lineup uh, makes it more imperative for San Jose to introduce scoring depth because 
Um, they're going to have less of an advantage depth-wise. That was San Jose's biggest advantage. Yeah, and I, I would I would agree with that. And I think moving Drysaitel down does that uh, for Edmonton. I you know I don't know what I would prefer if I was the Sharks because to one ex- to one end, Drysaitel does make them a lot deeper, and you know he was on the ice. I guess you could say when the cat when Cassian scored that goal, but it's not like I don't think Drysaitel did much <laughs> to influence that. He had a great view of that goal. Um, so you know I think. But that's something you got to worry about. He's a skilled off. He's a skilled offensive player, and you know if he's going against the third and fourth line, that probably means that Schlemko and Dylan have to see him a little more. And I don't know. I, I, frankly, if if they're going if they're going to spread McDavid and Drysaddle apart, I think that's even more reason to change up the defensive pairings on the allotment that I suggested because if you know, look, you're gonna you're gonna need to mix it up. Uh, against, I think you're going to need to mix it up, you know, with their depth mixed up. And I think you're going to put Burns and Vlasic in an even better position to stop Connor McDavid without Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, I, you know, I haven't watched the Oilers closely this year, but to me, it seems that, you know, the success of that line is not because of Patrick Maroon. It's because of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, both being very good players and, the, you know, whoever that winger is. So, you know, if you're the Sharks, I think, well, you worry that the dry sidle line could give Edmonton greater depth. It certainly makes uh, going against Connor McDavid a lot more palatable, I would say. I mean, uh, Anton Shepeshev and Patrick Maroon alongside him doesn't have the same ring to it. Uh, I think one line I think that it's been kind of underrated in this series and probably you know all year is that Nugent Hopkins line, and that's really yeah. been dangerous against the Sharks. Yeah, um, they've they've kicked their butts a little bit, um, and I think that you know maybe gets lost in the shuffle because of McDavid. And I think also possibly just because, uh, you know, uh, some of the injury stuff to San Jose, but I think really all year that Nugent Hopkins line has been kind of a pain in the butt, um, especially when they've gotten ice time against Patrick Marlowe and company. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's that they can't deal with uh, it's if it's the speed or if it's just, you know, just good at just a good puck possession line, but it's kind of an interesting thing where I don't feel like I necessarily notice them so much as I do that, right. you know, they just they just uh, are a good solid, you know, work you over over timeline. I mean, what what do you, what is it you think that the Sharks are having such a big problem with with that lineup? Well, I certainly think you know when they brought in McDavid. I think a lot of the talk, or not McDavid, they brought in Lucic. A lot of the talk was, oh, he's going to play alongside McDavid. I never really thought he was a fit. Uh, he's a more of a he's much more of a fit alongside, um, alongside. Uh, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins than he is uh, alongside Connor McDavid. I think well, he's just, a much better fit on a lower line. I think yeah, on a lower line, but also the way they play stylistically. Like yeah, Everly, Everly could skate, but I think Nugent Hopkins and even Everly too. They're a lot more patient. They're a lot more deliberate. I think whereas McDavid, you you kind of want you know McDavid's ideal line mate is Taylor Hall, not uh, not Milan. Where's Taylor Hall anyway? Yeah, I think he's he's enjoying some time off, unfortunately for the unfortunately for the Sharks. Anyway, unfortunately for the Oilers. Um, yeah, you know, looking at uh, you know, it's 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 interesting to look at uh, at the Nugent Hopkins lines numbers, and you know, he's had a lot of success. See, he's seen a lot of Joe Pavelski and a lot of Tomas Hurdle, and he's absolutely torn it up against both of them. Uh, you know, even more reason to kind of stick Hurdle on McDavid is because that's a guy he's shown to have some success against uh, I think 
the size of that line, the size of Nugent Hopkins and the size of, of uh, Lucic kind of gives, you know, the hurdle Bodker Hansen line, a little more problems because hurdles really the only uh, size guy on that line. Whereas, you know, when you go against McDavid dry and, uh, Maroon, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't small by any means, but, you know, they're, they're not towering over that line necessarily. Um, yeah, he's had a lot of success. Against, I mean, he's had a ton of success against Couture. Thornton last night uh, seemed to seemed to have – and he had success yeah, he had success against Thornton last night too. Uh, only five combined shot attempts, but, you know, the Oilers got 60% of them. They got three. So, yeah, that's kind of been the, the, the surprising thing even more so than – you know, the, the Sharks, an answer for McDavid is really that the second line has has given them, has posed um, some matchup problems. And I, I think it's I, I think it's just a sneaky good line. I think Eberle's a really, really good player. You know, there was a lot of, there was always a lot of talk of, oh, they should trade him. And it's like, you know, I think they should have kept both their wingers. But, you know, they're certainly looking good now, not trading Eberle in addition to trading Hall. And, you know, Nugent Hopkins, they both have the pedigree. Nugent Hopkins was a number one – I don't know if he was number one overall, but he was a first-round pick. Uh, Jordan Everly, I think, was a high second-round pick. So the guy – they have the pedigree. They're skilled. Um, I think almost as much of a concern as McDavid, because he is the best player in the league, is finding an answer for this Nugent Hopkins line. Because, you know, the guys that have played against him most, you know, the Burns and Martin pairing are having success defensively against him. But the forward groups, not so much. Right. Uh, right. So, I mean, like, listen, going into the game tomorrow, I think the, I think the biggest thing for me is that while the Sharks have not played particularly well, um, I think one thing that I've taken away from this series is that uh, Edmonton Oilers possess the capability to beat themselves. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, one thing, one, one takeaway is that, you know, man, if this Sharks team had even – half of the power play that it had two years ago that the yeah. series would they'd probably be up in this series three nothing right now which is disappointing uh because this edmonton team has shown that it has absolutely no discipline whatsoever yeah um so, more discipline last night but but even you know even so i mean it just i think you, you see that this is a team that is still uh, you know, it's playing with that same that same you know fake edge that they played with at the beginning of the season of that season series, which is something that I kind of wrote about early on. That where the Sharks won those first two games of the season series when Edmonton was really you know chasing that physicality and not really playing necessarily their their speed game as much as they did um, in the last three games. And I know in Game Two, you know, you think about the speed and remember the speed because of Connor McDavid, but I think even in Game Two, Edmonton was still very much playing a very um, a more physical game than I think that they probably should have been. Uh, I just think that that's something that's going to hurt them in the long run. I think that's something that's going to hurt them if, you know, if they win this series and, and go on to round two, and certainly if they go any further than that. Uh, you know, I just think it's interesting because this is a team that has a lot of talent, but is playing a very flawed style of hockey. And yeah, and maximizing I, the talent that they have. And I think that was, you know, part of, I think, I think we expected that to some degree, certainly not to the same degree. Um, uh, certainly didn't expect it to the same degree that we've seen so far in this series is how, uh, how the, you know, the Oilers are even still with the Sharks struggles, the Oilers are still beatable. And I think that's part of the frustration. I think if you're a Sharks fan is that, 
oh man, this Edmonton team really is not, you know, not, not very good fam. Not a very good team. There's a, and that's I think you look at the rest of the West and you're like, there are a lot of teams with very significant flaws, as we're seeing in the other series. You know, the Wild are down three games to nothing. Um, you know, my Bruce Boudreaux overachievement theory gets more and more evidence by the day, uh, let alone the year. You know, the the Predators are up two nothing on the Blackhawks. I think I saw an interesting stat: the the Blackhawks, you know, crushed the the Preds in goal differential overall this season. But if you take away games that ended in a shootout or with the Blackhawks scoring into an empty net, uh, the Predators actually have a higher goal differential than than the Blackhawks. So you know. You know, even a team that's racked up as many points is that very flawed. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the most frustrating thing, I think, for the Sharks is, you know, once again, the West is, uh, you know, I and I'm, I'm not trying to get far ahead of myself with the Sharks, but, you know, once again, this is a year where the West is winnable because there really isn't, I think, a team that's great. Even a team that on paper should be great. Nashville has struggled at times this year, and it, it take, took them quite a bit of time to, you know, kind of figure out, uh, who they were as a team. So I, th- I think that's even almost more frustrating than, you know, is wit. It's, you know, man, the Sharks, you know, couldn't have been healthy uh, this year. It, and of course, you know, seeing the amount of injuries that are striking Pittsburgh this year as opposed to last year. And it's like the one, the one time Pittsburgh's fully healthy, they end up making it to the Stanley Cup. So I think that adds to some of the frustration that the Sharks are seeing. But this, this series, I think, is still. Is still pretty open. I think the Sharks have the Sharks have to win tomorrow. They're not going to win the series if they lose tomorrow. I think though that I think it comes back to uh, you know even at the beginning of this year where I really thought that the Sharks were well they were you know on paper a better team than they were a year ago. I think you know it was so easy to underestimate how 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 much that long season really does wear on a team, especially an old team like the Sharks. You saw it all year, just you know, nagging injuries. How much that affects guys, and how much it affects their performance year in year out. Um, it it does. That has a big. That has a much bigger impact, I think, than we than, than maybe than I certainly than I expected. And you know, I won't yeah. speak for anybody else, but uh, I think that's that's impacted guys a lot. And you know, maybe certainly not with like some of these freak injuries, like you know, the Joe Thornton or Logan Couture. But you know, certainly that that has impact on on a lot of these guys' performances, and so. You know, that's uh, it matters. It's uh, yeah. very, very tough to make deep runs in the playoffs year and year out. And I think that while people wanted to point, you know, and maybe even I wanted to wanted to point to that Penguins team that you know lost in the Stanley Cup, and then went back the year after. That was a a team filled with a uh, twenty three year olds, not a team filled right. with thirty eight year olds. I mean, you uh, even look at some of these young teams. You know, the the Blackhawks. Yeah, they dismantled their team but they were eliminated in the first round the year after making a, a deep playoff run. And, you know, they, they made a conference finals run the year before uh, they won in 2014, 15 last year, they lose in the first round in seven games. Uh, yep. You know, the only time really after winning a cup, they went deep was after they won a cup in the lockout shortened season in, uh, in 2012, 13. And, you know, you want to talk about the Tampa Bay lightning. That's another young team. They had two postseason deep postseason runs this year. Yes, injuries, but still missed the postseason. So, I, yeah, I think we there's a reason so few teams have gotten back to the Stanley Cup final a year after making it uh, in the modern era. Yep, it's very difficult. And you know, uh, without getting too ahead of ourselves, you I mean you look at what the Sharks are going to look like next year, and it's it's really, you know, I think you know looking back, you really get kind of get the sense of the gravity of how important last year was for the Sharks and how 
you know, important that year was to, to their window, to that window with this core and how, how big the decisions are going to be looming for this team over this offseason. Because, you know, that's, it's going to be a big offseason. There are a lot of big decisions yeah. that this group is going to have to make if, they, yeah. if they're going to be serious about whether they, you know, what they're going to want to do this year because it's probably not a team that's going to be serious about contending for another Stanley Cup with the team as it's currently constructed. It's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I think that's a that's an off season discussion. I think you know it it depends on. It depends on if you, how ready the young players are within their system to kind of take steps for bigger roles. It seems like some, such as you know Tom, Tomas Hurdle, are ready for more responsibility, but you know the same can't necessarily be said about others. I mean, as much as we like Chris Tierney as the fourth line center, he's not really shown that he can be anything beyond that at this point in his career. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to loom, but I don't know. I, th- I think it also depends on what happens in the rest of the rest of the Western conference. I think you, you have an Edmonton team that is, you know, you'd think is primed to, you know, be on the precipice for a while, but the way that roster, the way they surrounded. Never, Connor, never cut out the Oilers to screw that baby up. Yeah, exactly. The way that <laughs> surrounded talent, the talent that's surrounded there. I, you know, I'd, I'd have, I don't know. I don't want to comment on the West next year, but I think my gut tells me that even if, you know, my gut tells me that it remains similar to 2015-16 and that, and, and this year and that the West is still going to be very flawed next year. And, that, and that's, re- that's really what I mean is that it just depends. That's why I'm saying that the, uh, the Sharks are going to have to, to make some changes and that's going to be very interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they will have to, I mean, they will have to make changes if they want to, uh, they want to con- continue. Are there any uh, other questions in the chat or any uh, anything pressing you think from the rest of the series that we haven't touched on? I think we've done a good job covering it. You know, maybe other than you heard about Cam Talbot this morning, he's been very good for the Oilers as he has all season. Um, yeah. So do we, do we have a prop bet on a on what his save percentage is going to be like next year? Is he gonna? Is the poor guy going to die next oh, year? Man. I feel bad for him. Yeah, he's getting he's getting like he's, he is being relied upon a lot. Getting he's uh, getting the Bokovd over there, and I just I just worry about the kid's future. He's getting Niemied, man. He's getting McClellan. Whoa, hey, whoa, whoa! Nabokov was doing this shit before. Oh well, yeah, the Navi started seventy three games in a year. Yeah, good lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, That's the face I made too. I think, uh, yeah, uh, the. Some cooler heads are going to need to prevail in Edmonton, and they need to stop Todd McClellan from himself. Well, they need uh, to sign, these a, sign a backup goalie then, because in I mean, fact, that's what I was getting. The, uh, I think at one point they had Jonas Gustafsson as the backup, and which, like, whew, remember back now, Lassois? Yeah, is that who it is? I mean, it is. I was like, wow. Maybe maybe we could see maybe Troy Grosnick will end up in Edmonton. Certainly Whoa. has some history with. Oh, how dare you? Certainly has some yeah. history with his, uh, his contract is expiring this year, I believe. So that's what I'm saying. That, that guy's going somewhere. He's not. He's probably. I, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think uh, Aaron Dell's contract's also expiring. So one of I those believe, guys. Is, one of those guys is leaving. Oh, and they're. I mean, they. They're the Oilers. Are, they're going to have to pay McDavid and Drysidle. They're going to have to pay McDavid after 2018. But they have to pay Drysidle after next year. They they have a couple guys coming off the books, but yeah, they've 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 got some decisions to make. Uh, yeah, I think that. Oh, you kidding me? The big payday for Edmonton next year, I think, is Chris Russell. 
How much do you think they're going to pay that guy? That's oh man, that overpay. My my favorite, uh, my two most anticipated overpays for this offseason are Chris Russell and TJ Oshie. Oh, so, Oshie's going to get like eight million a year. Oh, Oshie, oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I still like so, the Caps. Chance I'm back in their series, though. I know they're down two one, but this 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 feels like a they. This feels like they go down oh, to one to the young team, then they rattle off three straight. Can you feel the leap? Yeah, I can. Can you feel the Leafs tonight, baby? Oh, oh. and the heartbreak is coming for Toronto. If the Caps w- lose this series, it's the Toronto fans are just going to be obnoxious. I feel just like obnoxious. Can you imagine? Okay. There's going to be some bad stuff coming in Washington if they lose this series. Some real. Oh bad yeah, like stuff. I felt with my friend. If they don't win the cup, they should fold the franchise. Like they're. They probably I mean, they're, the franchise. This is already the last run with this group. Like they're oh, gonna already yeah. look fundamentally different next year. I mean, um, I think you have to. If you lose this series, I would look at trading pretty yeah. much everybody. And uh, I was just thinking how yeah. good Obi will look in Teal next year. Hey, oh, <laughs> yes, I can. Obi and John Tavares both. Hey, listen, uh, Obi and Nabby are really good friends. So yeah, his favorite. His favorite uh, team growing up was uh, was the, the Sharks. Sabres. We're getting we're getting ahead Sorry, of ourselves. Guys, Sharks wow. still have at least two more games left mm. in this season. Right. I think if I think if they win tomorrow, I think it's going to go seven games. But I think if they lose tomorrow, it's going five. I don't get paid by the game, dude. All right, easy. Neither do you, by the way. Just ahead. Sorry. No, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just making a bold prediction. Right, I just right, I right. just think. The way the series is going, if they lose, it's going to be such it's an upcoming. Oh, yeah. If they lose, if it's they win, I think it's going the distance. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm predicting if they lose tomorrow, it's going to be a Connor McDavid coronation type game where he scores three goals and it's just humiliating. Right. Uh, and I'm hoping if the Sharks win, it's a Timo Meyer coming out party. That'd be awesome. Do you think he gets moved up in the lineup tomorrow? We saw him, uh, we saw him moved up when the benches got shortened. That would be nice. I, you know, he's played well enough to earn it. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing him. Do you risk get a little breaking bit. up how effective that fourth line's been, though. Do you risk breaking up the line that's been your only good line consistently this series? Honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing him uh, play with get a little third line action. What about him with the with the Joes? Well, that would be that would be fine. Also, that's that's a good point. Send Melker Carlson down to the fourth line if uh, we have to keep him in the lineup. I don't hate it. I mean, I honestly would be fine doing that and get Kevin LeBanc in the lineup and get Kevin LeBanc, Carlson, and uh, Tierney. And Tierney. On the I don't hate it. No. I do think, though. I think I do think that Couture, that Couture Ward Marlowe line, and you know, we we did touch on it, but to summarize, that either has to be broken up or they have to be used a lot differently. I think mostly you just put your best offensive lines or uh, guys in the lineup. You. Uh, hit a random number generator, and then you start praying. As long as that random number generator doesn't land on 42, 39, and 12 as one of the combinations. It can't happen anymore. Please make it stop for everyone's sake. It's so bad. I, I texted you. I mean, why would you think uh, a guy who just came off a broken face, a 37-year-old, and how old is Joel Ward? 38. Well, it's 36 years old. A 36-year-old, okay, the guy whose face is destroyed. Putting he's playing him. basically like a 36-year-old because he's in so much pain. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I just, yeah, that's... Well, that's I mean, honestly the worst. It changes. It, I think 
you know, I will, I will say about DeBoer, and I have disagreed with what he's done with the lineup. He did change his usage a bit coming back to San Jose when he did get last changed. So I, I think, I know, I, I think if he can make, I think he winning the battle of adjustments against Todd McClellan, as we touched upon in the last show, uh, the Todd McClellan experience is an interesting one. Just, I think he can, will he? Remains to be seen. Uh, one more note. Can we, we've talked before that Pete DeBoer is a pretty, pretty, a biting sense of humor. Can we talk about how funny it was when he trolled everybody by sending Michael Haley out for warmups? I thought, oh, that, was, I, I, I thought that was pretty well played. The scratches always take warmups. Well, listen, he got all of the beat writers biting. I think that uh, they were out there right. with, with uh, raging erections before the game. Well, I just, I was, what I was surprised about was everybody like was saying like, I didn't see an update about him being one of the first guys off the ice this morning. So I just, that morning. So I assumed, okay, he's probably not playing. And then I saw the tweets about he's warming up and it's like, yeah, of course he's warming up. They always warm up. It's whether or not he's taking line rushes. And if he was one of the, if he was not one of the first guys off the ice this morning, he's probably not going to be playing. The thing, is, the thing is, is that because they, they haven't, the line rushes in the morning skate haven't been indicative of who's playing. So everything's out the window. That's true, but I just—I mean, he, he took the warm up. I—I I didn't see any tweets indicating he took line rushes in the warm up. So I was like, okay, like he's like, great, he's on the ice, but like, so are the other black aces, right? Like, did Kevin Kevin LeBanc? I'm assuming took the warm up. Nobody knows. I'm not in the press box. What do you want? From I mean, I'm assuming the people who know know, but but they didn't tweet about Kevin LeBanc. They did not. Um, they did not. Do you think he draws in tomorrow? Yes or no? Uh, no. You don't think? But LeBanc the fourth line, line's been oh LeBanc oh sure. Uh, LeBanc, no, probably not. Yeah, I think we would have seen more. No, talk we would have seen. We, yeah, nobody's even asking uh, Pete about it though, because nobody cares. Yeah, they're already in. They've already picked out their vacation spots. Looks like Bodker's out, but I think God is dead. Godker is dead. Well, let's see if. Uh, let's. Oh you know, wait, that's gonna be my fantasy team next year. Bod is dead. Bodker is dead. Oh, no, Bod is dead. That's pretty oh, good. Bod. It is that's not bad. The good, the bot, and the ugly. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see the good, the bot, and the ugly back together. Uh, I miss it. Uh, so that's going to be my. Uh, that's going to be one of my five storylines of the season. Mikel Bodker, both most disappointing signing of the season and part of the Sharks' two best lines. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> wow. Somehow. <laughs> Neat. It's really, an interesting dichotomy. Um, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> for what it's worth, LeBanc was off the ice before Bodker. And so was Michael Haley. Okay. Whatever was that he means. off? Was he off before or after Marcus Sorensen? I don't know. I didn't. I haven't seen. I haven't seen tweets of that. I'm just. Oh, man, it's going to be a mystery. Okay, we'll do another podcast before the series is over, probably. Yeah, I think. I think so. What? Maybe. Uh, maybe post. Maybe Wednesday post game. Yeah. Game four. I can do Wednesday. Okay. This is yeah, how we do our scheduling during the show. On the air for all of you to enjoy. I hope it works for you, the listener. <laughs> yeah, this is the worst. All right. Uh, you can follow Marcus on Twitter for more very filtered thoughts at Marcus P. White. I'm at Jake Sundstrom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Fear the Fin. Uh, all right. We'll talk to you guys on, on Wednesday as we just scheduled after the game. It's going to be a late night Fear the Fin cast. Wow. Nice. Bye.